podcast ain't played nobody bill i didn't realize the word dysentery was forever connected to the video game oregon trail yeah no i think it's um i think i don't think a lot of people have personal uh experience with dysentery therefore it automatically goes back to oregon trail which by the way best teen titans go episode yes very funny episode um Oh, Bill. Um, yeah, so we're a day late. I apologize. This podcast ain't played nobody. It's College Football Marriage of Numbers and Words. My name is Stephen Godfrey at 38 Godfrey. That is Bill Connolly, SBN underscore Bill C on the Twitters. He is the inventor and proprietor of the SP Plus analytics system. He is the author of multiple books. I am getting the show intro out of the way because I'm still a little spaced out from catching a lovely virus from my infant son. Sorry, we are late with the show. And... I'm going to have to kind of gather it up quickly. I know we have God's greatest football conference, mm-hmm. um, the American athletic. We just started. Um, yes. we have a host of questions because we've had a day and a half for the ask PAP and hashtag to, to simmer bill. Where do you want to start? Well, I mean, this is we, I am talking right now, uh, writing each day about the podcast. ain't played nobody official power conference. Uh, so we should probably give them the marquee slot here. I think. All right. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. Um, I will try and weave these questions in as best I can. Okay. That are corresponding with the conference, but we didn't get a ton of AAC specific stuff. We've just got our usual sort of blast. So, um, (laughs) Bill, we're going to start in probably two of the friendliest PAPN programs humanly possible. And that would be Tulane and Cincinnati, Cincinnati, because I've written multiple stories about them. Um, they're fairly convenient for me to get to. Um, they've had a really interesting run post Brian Kelly with Butch Jones and Tommy Tuberville and now Luke fickle. They are not going to be a good football team at the football part this year. Is that fair to say? Yeah, they're still, they have a lot of question marks. Let's put it that way. I mean, yeah. he has recruited like, freaking gangbusters so um you know so maybe there's a you know possibility that a youth movement really kind of catches on uh but he's got you know the defense i think is where i have the questions he, he hired a young um defensive coordinator basically you know a guy he coached at, o- at ohio state uh what's his name copeland i think um he I, I always get a little worried when you when you go for like the hard when, when the first thing you say about your defensive coordinator is he's a good recruiter. Um, that kind of concerns me a little bit. Same for offensive coordinator and uh, their defense was bad, quite bad last year. Um, worse than I would have expected. So that, that gives me some pause, especially because the only really good unit they had last year was the linebackers, which was a bunch of freshmen and sophomores last year. So that should be good. Uh, they, they were extremely experienced at the front of the back and, and the back of the defense and not very good at the front and the back of the defense. So they got a lot of seniors who have been around a while, but didn't do a lot last year. And then they've got just a boatload of freshmen and red shirt freshmen uh, waiting to join the party. So I'm going to assume it takes them a little while to figure all that out. Um, before I actually start to think about anything, uh, think about them doing uh, actually any damage. That being said, that's a program that sets up extremely well for the future because they've made a hire in Luke Fickle, who you have to assume this is not a Tom Herman situation, if only because Urban Meyer is probably just going to be constantly like, I don't know if they're doing like blood transfusions or stem cells or whatever, but he's not going anywhere anytime soon. We like to think at Ohio State, right? accordingly, I don't think that Luke Fickle, he would have to move it pretty quickly to, to be considered the heir at Ohio State. I don't think Ohio State people would even necessarily have him on the top three of their list, right? Mm-hmm. So 
he doesn't look like a guy in a Tom Herman type situation in Houston to where Ooh. he comes in. Well, first off, Herman came in with a cupboard that was much more st- uh, stocked, right? Yes. Um, the situation with Tuberville was that recruiting re- recruiting declined pretty pretty consistently year over year. He's got to rebuild. I don't think the time frame even would line up for him to make enough noise. All of this being said, I think Luke Fickle is going to be at Cincinnati for a while, and that's good for Cincinnati in that they could actually build into a stable program, which is the toughest thing to do. This is my lead into the American Athletic Conference in this conference period. Like you can't it, it's extremely hard to develop a five to ten year plan when your coaches are being poached by some of the best programs in the country on a consistent basis. Um so this will not be a Herman situation. This will not be a Taggart situation. Although Taggart was at USF four seasons I think some Cincinnati fans would even be happy with four seasons of Luke Fickle, the last two of which are double-digit wins. Yeah, um, he needs to still – this is a very devil's advocate thing to say, but, I mean, he he hasn't yet proven he can be a head coach. He's been a head coach for two seasons now. One of them was that weird interim year at, at uh, Ohio State, and we saw this last year at Ole Miss. Like, an interim can rally the troops and figure things out, but them going whatever it was, seven and six, six and seven, wasn't impressive by any means, even if it's not like a, a – mark on his resume it wasn't a check mark either but then last year I like I I wish I was more inspired by his coordinators let's put it that way he hired Mike Denbrock Denbrock from uh, Notre Dame their offense uh, was no better than it was the year before uh, and he, I think I said Copeland for the defensive coordinator that was that, that was their tackles name they have a, de- a defensive tackle named Marquise Copeland uh, the coordinator's name is Marcus Freeman from Ohio State um, and he, like I said, he's like, he's barely like six years into coaching. Uh, he's a great recruiter. They're recruiting like crazy, but, uh, their, their defense also fell apart last year. So they got, you can't <laughs> like recruiting is awesome. And they, you know, they've, they have the best two year recruiting in the group of five. Eventually that probably makes a difference, but they're not, it's not like everybody else is recruiting terribly in the, uh, AAC and that you're going to uh, develop some, amazing talent advantage over your peers. So you got to be able to coach too. And, and, you know, Jerry's still out in that regard. I think if you are going to compete consistently in the AAC with the two Floridas and, and, and Houston, I'm still not quite ready to say SMU as well, but they're real, real close. And I think they made an amazing hire in Sonny Dykes in terms of fit. Awesome. Good job. Good job. Sure. Right. No. Amazing. It feels bold to me but a solid hire solid hire yes amazing for them that's why i wanted to be super smart about okay. my context here amazing for them in that sunny okay. dykes was i think a p5 quality head coach who got into a situation he didn't like he made a bad move in going to cal and just sort of didn't know it back remember when the pac-12 was just literally paved with gold and everything was wonderful like six years ago right everyone had money the whole deal yeah um he went to cal he didn't realize what exactly what cal cal was was on a fault line How's that for a joke? That was terrible. Um, <laughs> I think it works really well for for his connections in Texas. This is offense he runs, the coaches he can attract, and his ability to recruit. I think like for SMU, it makes really, really good sense. And he also doesn't have to go through the, the grittier part of the rebuilding process because um, his predecessor did all that. So yep. anyway, as far as Ohio goes, Ohio is the one place I think you might be able to keep Maybe not blow for blow, but I think you can kind of stay in the ring with the Floridas and the Texas schools in terms of recruiting year over year, either like elite G5 talent, sub sub P5, whatever, you know, that level that the AAC has. 
Um, yeah, they were 47th. They were 47th in the right. 247 rankings. That's and the by the one way, Sorry to interrupt the, uh, the, to the Minnesota fan who, uh, yesterday got all chesty when I said that he's recruiting really well at Cincinnati to the Minnesota fan who jumped in and was like, Oh, now 47th is good, huh? Yeah. Just because you've had like one top 50 class in the last five years yourself, uh, and, and it was last year that you probably shouldn't scoff at 47th. It's still pretty good. It would have, it would have been like 10th or 11th in the big 10, uh, and it would have beaten a lot of Minnesota's recent classes. So yeah, it's still pretty good. I'm not the only person who gets salty online. Um, <laughs> if so, yeah, if you're going to, if you're going to compete, it's probably going to be in the state of Ohio. It's probably going to yeah. be where you can pull that kind of talent out. Um, obviously Luke fickle is very connected in the state of Ohio. He's from there. He played at Ohio state. As we know, um, this is all fun. This is probably the last thing we can, we really, really have to say about Cincinnati in the year, in the calendar year, 2018, uh, everything points to be going in the right direction. They're doing the things that you need to, to stay relevant and survive in the American athletic conference, which is still as much as we love it, not P five. However, it's not there yet. Now, is it there for Tulane? Because God knows this podcast needs to talk more about <laughs> Willie Fritz. Yeah, I, you know, so I have kind of a, a general impression in my head that I assume I'm going to follow up on when I'm writing the preview for a given team. Uh, and so this is Willie Fritz we're talking about. So, you know, improved in his first year, improved in his second, well, improved a little in his first year, but improved a decent amount in his second year, came within almost literally an inch of making a bowl game. You know, they get stopped right at the goal line on uh uh, against on the last play of the game against SMU. And we all think they got completely screwed until we see like the different angle the very next day that makes it look like he was indeed an inch short of the, of, of the, the win. Um, so I assume in that case in my head, I've got a, the impression of, okay, well, here's where they break through. Uh, problem with that is that they fell apart last year defensively. And now they've got a brand, a almost completely brand new defensive line. They're going to be playing a ton of freshmen, I believe, on the defensive line. Uh, at least, mm-hmm. they, at least they better be because their seniors aren't very good. Um, so they're basically starting over up front, and they're kind of, sort of starting over to a degree in the back as well. So I don't really know. Their offense is going to be awesome. It's going to be a Willie Fritz offense, except they can kind of pass too. They've got this kid, uh, a couple good receivers, a quarterback who's in his second year now. Plus they've got. Um, Darius Bradwell averaged like six and a half yards for carry per carry for them last year. And then they bring in a former four-star kid from Texas tech named Corey Dauphine. Um, they recruited like crazy too last year. They were third in the AAC, which was impressive. Uh, but I feel kind of like I do with Cincinnati and that their defense is going to be a little too young to, to do anything too major. And their schedule doesn't really help either. They're at UA winnable games, games that would be winnable at home, but are on the road. They're at UAB. They're at, at Cincinnati, they're at Tulsa, they're at USF, they're at Houston. It's a tough schedule for uh, anything more than six and six, I think. Well, because our listeners usually dovetail so well with the, the subject matter of this program, um, I have multiple AAC questions. Um, they're just both about UConn. <laughs> so I, I did write about them this week too. Okay, we'll do this real fast. Everybody just hold your breath. Um, uh, our friends, the Yukon blog, at the Yukon blog, part of the SNB Nations Network, uh, would you be doing anything differently than Randy Edsel if you were the head coach at Yukon? Now, hold your, hold your thought on that because there's another. I got to scroll through and find it because we had multiple Yukon questions. Uh, Todd Bonzales, when you guys change your usernames to funny things, I'm going to read that instead of your handles just 
because I'm drunk with power. Um, the talk the talk has died down, but if UConn did decide to move to the Big East in basketball, do you think that they could leverage the AAC into staying in football only? If not, where could you see football land, and how much of a death sentence would football independence be? Um, hmm. <laughs> well, the good uh, thing for them, as far as quote unquote uh, football only AAC membership would be, the good thing for them is that there isn't an obvious replacement. Um, you know, you would have to go to like a New Mexico State or a somebody from Conference USA or some. I mean, there are some decent Conference USA teams, but um, there isn't a natural unless you're going to call up, so to speak, like a, a Western Kentucky or a Marshall or somebody. Uh, there, there isn't a natural Damn, replacement Bill. in that regard. Or FAU, maybe. No, maybe. no, I'm saying no. I'm just realizing no one is. This is no one has ever played this game. I everyone all I mean everyone wants to to expand the Big 12 and talk about redoing a, you know their particular favorite Power 5 conference what if everything stayed tight at that level and the AAC had to figure out you know what we're 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 parting ways with UConn we need one addition <laughs> how about the how about the Boise State Broncos yeah I mean honestly I still Mountain West commissioner is going to send me a letter bomb hell yeah um no I still really have in my head that it might still be a, a good idea for them to just try to become like the G five conference. Uh, like, especially if you, Hey, by UConn, well, we'll see you guys later. Uh, we're now going to add five new teams. We're going to add, um, Boise state and San Diego state, maybe Colorado state. Uh, we're going to add, Oh God, whoever the most attractive property in conference USA is at this point, uh, North. No, you've already got Dallas and so North Texas isn't a, a thing. Uh, UAB, a, I have no idea. Yeah. Um, uh, FAU. I mean, to, I know but, it's, like, so, I know that's so flash in the pan because Kiffin's not going to be there, right. but like, but it's, it, still, it's still close I to mean, my, that's what it is, you know, like, but regardless, so, okay, so we're going to add, um, yeah, we'll say Boise State and San Diego State and Colorado State, just to be fun, or, or instead of Colorado State Air Force, maybe, but like three from that conference. Uh, so that puts us at 14 since UConn's gone. Uh, and then add like a, a UAB and then try to pluck like freaking Toledo as well uh, and just create like the conference for, or, or, you know, Arkansas State or whoever as well from the Sun Belt, who just kind of a, a Champions League kind of conference. Um, I, I still think there's value in that. I understand the the non-football ramifications of it. Um, or hell, try to get BYU. BYU is a little more vulnerable at the moment than they typically are. Uh, but you could create like a real Western division, really, if you tried to pluck about three Mountain West teams or even three in BYU, plus your Texas schools and all that. Like it would, it would almost still make sense. And I think they, I, I have not yet been convinced that it wouldn't be a good move. Let's put it that way. Okay, now as far as Randy Edsel goes, uh, yeah, it's fine. It's no, fine. I, I, I like he, he didn't just basically come in the door and say, "Okay, we're going to go back to two. We're, it's two thousand eight again. We're going to run the ball and try to recruit a bunch of linebackers and see what happens." They, he actually went with the approach that had the highest ceiling. Uh, you know, he brought in Rhett Lashley as as we kind of would have expected since he's never been. Uh, I don't believe he had ever coached north of the Mason-Dixon line before. He's gone after one year, but he kind of installed a certain level of tempo. Now he brought in a former assistant who's been all over the place uh, in terms of like he has NFL experience and this and that. And he's, uh, but he's apparently married to the tempo thing. He's going to try to to work that uh, to a certain degree. And they were as bad as they were last year. I mean, talent, 
you know, we don't know if they have any, but part of the problem last year was that they were incredibly young. The two relieving running backs were freshmen. Two of their three receivers were freshmen. They had freshmen on the offensive line. Uh, mm. They had freshmen, freshmen in the secondary. Like they, they went with a pretty big youth movement and that was part of their problem. So he's doing it. I think the right way he's, he, he went with a full scale youth movement. He he's going with the energy to try to recruit to that. Um, I, I'm, I don't know if it'll work, but I like the approach. I like that. It wasn't just because he's a, a kind of a, a retrograde kind of like we're going to go back to the future kind of or back to the forward to the past however we want to say it um it, that's not what he's doing he you know even if he's randy edsel he's still trying to move the program forward give me a rough preview of what's coming on the aac because i know who's going to be on the north side of it but what, what's the rest of your uh like going into the next recording of the show what are we looking like i want to figure out who so, we talk about now who we talk about later uh, because we don't have a lot of aac questions so we're gonna have to segment I, this have had I've done ECU, UConn, Tulsa, Cincinnati, and Tulane so far. Um, Tulsa, by the way, you know they only win or lose ten plus games, so they're going to either win the conference or go two and ten again. Um, th- so then we've got tomorrow. We've got Temple, who, as I've mentioned before, I think is they have the possibility of being really, really good. They found their quarterback. They found a rhythm on def- uh, defense. Uh, they could be really good next week. Then uh, Navy on Monday. SMU on Tuesday, Houston on Wednesdays. That's pretty, that's, that's very PAPN right there. And then that leaves Memphis, USF and UCF after that. Okay. All right. Where do you want to go next? Um, let's see. Uh, you find a question cause I have not yet, uh, we, we get too many and I lose my place. So you go next. We have way too many right now, honestly. Um, yeah, stop asking good questions, people. Yeah. We're way backed up. Um, well, let's do this. Um, since we're probably going to be evenly split on the AAC, what is there a surprise right now? Is there the, the, the only, I don't want to spend too much time on the bad teams, but the one that, the one that really jumps out at me for whatever reason, this is a conference that's always been known for its um, mobility in a weird sort of Mac way. I think you can put it together in any given year at most of these programs, Navy being sort of its own thing. That's right. Um, and, and you can make a run. The Tulsa thing was weird. It's still weird that they fell off the way they did. But ECU is the okay. one emerging lost cause here. And it's, <laughs> it's it's not because of Scotty Montgomery. I think it's just more because of the fact that they don't have a lot of money. They're, they're in some financial issues right now. They overextended themselves in a, in a way in which they just couldn't keep up. Um, and they're the one program that doesn't look like they could be two to three years away from a 10 win season that puts you back in the national consciousness of all the programs in, in, in the conference. And that's yeah, saying something. Uh, you're probably right. The only thing that like the, if I went out of my way to try to play devil's advocate with that, I would say that, um, and this is a stretch, but basically of all Montgomery's problems, recruiting hasn't really been one of them. He's recruited at pace with the rest of the conference. Uh, so their problem has been these last couple of years, some other combination. He's, he's also brought in a lot of P five transfers who had a, you know, a, a high level of recruiting ranking and whatnot. Uh, he, he, he somehow managed to bring in a freshman quarterback, uh, Holton Ehlers, who's a damn near a four-star kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he is recruiting well. 
Uh, and so, the, you know, even if it's clearly not going to work out for him and, you know, he, it would take him a miracle this year. Miracles happen, but it would take a miracle. Well, I just even got rid of the AD that hired him. him. That's usually the, that's yeah. usually the sign. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, he's probably also the, also the not winning football games part. Right. Yeah, that um, it's probably not going to work out for him. But the next guy who comes in will inherit a roster full of guys who would be playing, uh, who, who were recruited by everybody else in the conference. Uh, maybe they are underdeveloped and therefore they're going to be re- remain behind. But in theory, the next guy could come in and and kind of flip a switch a little bit if it's the, if it's a good hire. It, as as with everything else, it's you're a good hire away from figuring yourself out to whatever degree. But they they panicked. They got tired of only making like four bowls in five years or whatever it was. They got rid of Ruffin. Um, and, and they, it was, they checked every, they checked every box on the, uh, the Glen Mason territory checklist. Mm. We're tired of only winning this much. Um, when, and instead of trying to figure out how to give our head coach that everybody loves, uh, you know, the more resources and more help, we're just going to change and, and piss a bunch of people off and go with a, a young energetic guy and watch everything fall apart around us. And Bill, help me out here. Where's Ruffin now? He, Oh, that's right. He's, um, he's in Oklahoma. Because his right, next offensive coordinator is now the head coach. So, right, and that's and by the way, he he did lose uh, Lincoln Riley, so there's a chance he wasn't going to rebound at ECU either. He might have, you know, he he could have stayed, gone three and five, three and nine the next year, and gotten fired, and everybody else would have been okay with, like, would have been understanding. But yeah, no. He, but my point, he my point there was that ECU had a coach in Ruffin McNeil that may have not been, the, you know, the sexiest brand to go out and try and compete and become that Boise level G five, you know, a good coach. name, but a damn good coach and an extremely well connected one. That's what blows yes. my mind here. Like yeah. I don't, I don't. You got rid of a guy who was able to bring in Lincoln Riley, who was able to bring in guys that were off the Stoops tree, off of the Leach tree, guys who were offensive innovators who could make a difference in a conference like this in a short amount of time. Again, nothing against Scotty Montgomery. I know he's he's a Cutcliffe guy, but like it's just that seemed like such a short-sighted move at the time, and it was very much as you call it, Glen Mason territory, but change for right. sake. And right. Yeah. We, I mean, there are times when we, uh, you mentioned the PAC 12 earlier, like we, we have gone full 180 degrees on Larry Scott. We loved everything he was doing five years ago. And now we, we are making fun of him. Like, you know, he doesn't know, he, you know, he overreached. He didn't know what he was talking about, Yeah, but with this, it wasn't 180 degrees. We were all railing against this move the moment it happened. And I do think that makes a difference. Guess who asked a good question that we can bridge off of your boy, Shikar Gupta. Ready? All right. Um, he asked, will the, in, will the Mountain West, last week's conference, reach AAC level of clout with Boise, Fresno, and San Diego State all potentially competing for that G5 NY6 spot? Or in other words, do you think the Mountain West will ever reach the point where they argue for a P7? <laughs> um, so I want to take the AAC side of this and, and just say right off the bat, no. And I think as great, I love Mountain West football. I like think it's fun. Um, you know, we love all, all, all flavors and kinds and walks of life of football here, but it's a matter of when you're stripped of the TV money, right, which is the real line of demarcation that we talk about on this show all the time, it has nothing to do with who won what game and everything to do with your program has a spare $60 million and your program does not. They, your program gets a million and a half or whatever it is. Um, you have to revert back to geography and population and talent, and and I think that's what will always separate the Mountain West from being – that level that the AAC has now keep in mind the AAC 
congealed in just such a way the last couple of years to make that statement. It looked pretty bad there when the, when the husk of the big East was sort of glomming onto QC right. schools and like, it didn't, it didn't, it wasn't like it was a master plan. Although, you know, it is something that Mike Oresco wanted to lean into by pushing the, like we've got one school in Ohio, we've got two schools in Florida. We've got two schools in Texas. Let's, those are huge recruiting areas. Let's build out from there. Um, which this is this means nothing then this is just a theory of mine if they did have to replace a school by the way UConn's not going anywhere um if they had to replace a school i think they would i think they would lean more into some program in in the southern slash texas footprint to get good football yeah that's why i was kind of thinking uab you think uab I, I mean, I think they would be an attractive candidate for that reason that they yeah. would be that they're in the South, basically, and that they might have their act together. Not completely, you know. You got to keep doing it now, but they might have gotten their act together recently. What mm. about Army? I don't think Army wants it, man. I, I mean, it, the I've asked that question before, and yeah. um, the the when I did the embed, they were just just sort of waking up and getting things together. Obviously, they had right. a ten win season last year, but. Um, you know, I think Army's a school that will tell you that they benefit from playing the two FCS programs sometimes, right. and the you know picking off Buffalo is a bad example, but they used to be a pretty good you know it was like we if we can open the year against Buffalo and Fordham, and then you know have a breather before we go in and play something like a like a like a middle middle of the road MAC team that's better for us. Now maybe if Jeff Munkin is Ken Niamatanolo. Which is a fair comparison. Well, Paul Johnson, if, he, if he's Paul Johnson. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, if he is yeah. as good as Niamatanolo is, and Niamatanolo is as good as Johnson was, if 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 that's if if X equals Y equals Z, five years from now, I think why not? Because the difference is Navy's losing games that they wouldn't. They're they're losing games that they wouldn't because they're in the AAC, right? Navy's right. losing games to really good football teams at home and really good football teams on the road because they're not banging around the QSER. They're banging around as an independent. And, you know, they had to play Central Florida. They'll have to play South Florida. They have to play really good football teams. And, and so they may finish the year 8-4 and four instead of 10-2. and two. But I think if you're Navy, and, and I'm paraphrasing here because I don't want this to be blown up back at me on Twitter, but when I when I was in Annapolis last year, they were very, very vocal about the fact of like, hey, the, the, gosh, the week I was there, I think they were coming in or out of the UCF game. It, the bottom line mm-hmm. was they had a ranked opponent in the stadium in Annapolis for the first time in years. And, they, and the coaches look at that and say, yeah, it's a much harder team to play. It's really hard. But, you know, it's, it, it's something where maybe on a position-by-position position basis we're, out, we're outmatched because we're an academy. But, damn, this is a really good recruiting tool. Or, damn, this is really exciting for our fans. So I think, I think Army would be great in the AAC if they wanted to do it. I just don't think that they – right now I think they're still a little, a little spooked from, from basically being invisible for 20-some-odd years. Right, and I mean they did they they did join what was it Conference USA back in like the nineties, yeah. um, and it was at exactly the time when all the service academies, or at least Army and Navy, were 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 just falling apart completely. And so I don't think them being in Conference USA had specifically anything to do with them falling apart. But the fact is, let's see, over seven years in Conference USA, they won a grand total of uh, thirteen games. <laughs> so yeah. 
Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would say that that experience, whether or not it was a kind of indicative of how the next round would go, that's in the back of their heads and it's in the back of the heads of some of the boosters too. Um, I'll clarify this cause I really don't want to get some angry email from some like two-star general. I don't know if it's just because I was raised by a cop. It like makes me bristle a little bit. I know that y'all like, I know a lot about army. Don't jump on me. Okay. I wrote the big story on y'all. Uh, they have like, they, they went to Ohio state last year. They have Oklahoma coming next year. So they are scheduling. Well, that's not what I meant. I'm just saying they may not want to bang week in and week out with an AAC level amount of talent right now. Talk to me in five years. Okay. Yeah. get out of that um this is a really (laughs) this is a weird question um but it 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 generated its own response so i i wanted to touch on it for a second has nothing to do with our our our, um beloved g5 but uh ryan kurchinski asks could saban have become the goat i guess that would imply that he's not if he stayed in b1g or if it was a perfect storm elite coach no he's saying probably is the goat but would he have been considered the the goat if he had stayed in the big Ten? ah okay elite coach bama brand rich recruiting area in the south then someone responded to him as i was getting the questions ready and said he won a title at lsu not like his only success was at bama is he saying that could saban have become saban at michigan state well that's what i'm i I don't know if he's talking about just michigan state or just within the big 10 yes Um, it's possible within the big 10 i don't know if it's possible at Michigan State, but again, I'm just I'm saying that off the top of my head, thinking about right the way that they've done the, the way that they've run that program would not be similar in any way, shape, or form to the way Saban would run it. So uh, maybe I mean you have yeah, yeah. Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State right off the top of my head, and theoretically Nebraska. I guess we can talk about that Bruce Feldman article in a minute, where Wisconsin being apparently just a derivative of nebraska even though they're superior in every way for the past 10 15 years i guess maybe um yeah so i i mean my initial response is no he he did this at lsu and uh, alabama and lsu and alabama are clearly you know uh, they they clearly quote unquote have a higher ceiling than michigan state does that said you know when uh saban went to lsu in 2000 uh, they had had about two good seasons in the last 10 or 12 years. Um, they were in uh, a pretty big drought. They were constantly showing a high ceiling. They had a couple top 10 finishes in the 80s. They weren't able to sustain Jack. And so in theory, you know, if Saban does stay at Michigan State, and maybe he can recruit at the level necessary to become a, a major thing. But I do think having all those recruits in your backyard uh, was a massive step towards Saban becoming the quote-unquote GOAT. Um, so I, I don't think he would have reached that level with the consistency that he, is, that he has had at first LSU and then Alabama. Maybe, maybe Ohio State. I think that's the one program because we, we know he would have figured out how to do Ohio state the way urban did because they're, they are very similar in a lot of ways. And so mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's, I don't think the sec is the only place in which you can be that successful. I think. Right. But Ohio state is Ohio state. I also um, think it's, it's really amenable. <laughs> it's really amenable to be to, to that kind of dominance as we've seen. That's why I'll put it this way. Why do you think all these people on the Saban tree go to jobs where they have to face Saban every year? <laughs> right you don't see South. you don't yeah. see Sa- yeah you don't see saving tree guys being like "Ooh, i want that minnesota job no they literally go to where saving's gonna kick their ass for five <laughs> ten years 
to try it because they know that the odds are better with the surround with with the support in the surroundings than they are if you just go off into far flung non college football territory and try and replicate it. So yeah, I mean, let's see. D'Antonio obviously is a is a Saban guy, and he stayed north, but he's basically it like McIlwain left McIlwain took the Colorado state job, but as a means to get right, an to get, SEC yeah, job. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that probably does, uh, say something right there, but while we're talking about Alabama, I will bridge into something else. Um, so in our Slack room this morning, uh, I assume you will see content, uh, re- resembling what I'm about to say at some point, but we're having kind of an internal discussion because this morning, I guess, um, Jalen hurts his dad, uh, spoke and it's always fun when the dads speak because apparently dads are required to say big, bold, brash things. Um, he basically said that he, you know, they're not sure what they're going to do if Jalen Hurts is going to stay at Alabama or transfer or whatever, but if he did transfer, he'd be the biggest quote unquote free agent in college football history. Um, mm. now that's probably not quite right, but I think, um, it was interesting. So, I mean, this was just our college football team having a little conversation about it. And, and the topic became like over under how many P five schools could hurt show up at tomorrow and start this fall. Now, I mean, obviously if he transferred, he would have to sit out this year, but I think what we're, what was kind of, and, and seeing these conversations on Twitter as well, I think we have this, there, there's this thing where, um, when a when a guy especially when a quarterback doesn't get dramatically better we just write him off like okay well he stinks now uh you know next guy up and i think that's what's happened with hurts like he i mean wasn't he like sec offensive player of the year as a true freshman almost won the national title as a true freshman which is you know even when you've got alabama talent around you doesn't happen um and I, you know, the, the fact that for two, basically for the last two years, he has struggled uh, late in the year when uh, really, really, really good defenses have a lot of film on him. He has struggled, uh, you know, the Florida, Washington, Clemson two years ago, um, although they still scored a, a, quite a few points against Clemson. Uh, and then last year, um, you know, slowing down against Auburn late in the year, then, then um, you know, doing just enough to get by Clemson and letting the defense take that one and then getting crushed by Georgia in the first half before they made a QB change. Mm-hmm. That's not the same thing as not being a, a, a good power five starter. It just meant that, you know, elite defenses were able to slow them, this national title caliber team down late in the year. Uh, I, I, we, we were basically setting the over under at about 40, uh, you know, schools that he could start at tomorrow if he showed up. Honestly, I think it's closer to 45. Uh, maybe there, there are only about 10 jobs I think that he absolutely wouldn't win in the country uh, and about probably another 10 or 15 where he would have to fight pretty hard to get it. Uh, but I, th- I think he hits that over easily. Um, I got another question, but um, before, before I go into a question that's now, beca- it, it's becoming a segment on our show, okay? Um, I just want to point out that I did not know this because I was in the throes of some sort of death virus. Uh, Brandon tweeted 22 hours ago to the Ask BAPN hashtag, is the current SMU football coaching staff better or worse than last year's staff with Chad Morris? Suck it, Bill. I'm on the zeitgeist. I knew what I was talking about. Um, I don't know if they're better or worse, but I just think it was a really good hire for SMU because it's very hard to make an appropriate hire twice. Even my friend and Bill like Connolly says that all the time. And I like that he got Rhett Lashley. I think that's still – that was a – he's he's doing good things. I just – whatever word you used at the start, like wonderful or whatever that way it was, I, I'm – it's still Sonny Dykes. I mean, I, I don't want to like make when it Chad sound Morris like they're left, a bunch of – 
No, yeah. I don't know. I mean, they're going to do exactly what they did. Again, it's when Chad Morris left, I, I, my assumption was, well, mark them down for regression. And I think with Sonny Dykes coming in, knowing the area as well as he does, uh, having a handle on what uh, – the other thing, too, that you know, don't sleep on this when you're a G5, having a completely different staff come in that is maybe not the same religion – or maybe the same religion, maybe just a different denomination. Right. That's huge in terms of offensive philosophy, especially in Texas. Um, so I think that helps a lot too. Um, all right, Bill, now it's time for our favorite new segment I just invented because the people demand it. Bill, are you ready for another week of Saban Orr? Okay. All right, Andrew Pearson with this week's Saban Orr. Hashtag SPAPN. More of which in the future. Ready, Bill? No, Nick Saban national titles. Or years of Corso on game day? Because I, I, I feel like the answer is Saban, and I don't want to give that answer. If the answer is Saban. It's time, dude. But, but that makes me sad, and so I don't want to... It's time, man. I, I Look, a lot of you listening right now are probably angry at me for saying this, but I think a lot of you listening right now who are angry at me for saying this <laughs> don't really want to argue me on it. Okay, I'm just saying the uncomfortable thing. And sometimes the uncomfortable thing is if you have a dog that's 13 or 14 years old and the and the vet says he can live to 16, theoretically, but the dog is miserable, that's on you. I'm not saying we should euthanize Lee Corso. But what well, I am I'm saying I'm is this. I'm glad you're not saying that. What I'm saying is this. At a certain point, and I don't watch the show. I don't watch the show out of some moral outrage or anything like that. I did the profile on Reese Davis. Like... I just on Saturdays I'm used, that's now on Saturdays that's the last bit of um, interaction human interaction I'm going to have with my family before we <laughs> before I, if I'm in town if I'm if I'm not on the road doing some far flung story if I'm at home and I've got 13 hours of football coming I, I'm not watching game day no, I don't, I'm, not, I'm usually watching soccer in the morning right, but yes. I mean I just I'm, I'm interacting I'm maybe trying to do something physical with my body before I gestate in front of a you know television. Um, I don't need the Tom Rinaldi piece. I don't need the Notre Dame weekly update. No. Like, um, however, I understand the importance of that program in the spectrum of college football, and I understand that college game day literally influences college football. I mean, it has a power and an autonomy and an identity and a brand that's that's different or better or stronger than any other program associated to any American sport, period, full stop. The NFL pregame shows are a bunch of chuckling dumbasses all right they add nothing they create nothing to the conversation to the zeitgeist at all at all right um nba i know i know is it inside the it's not inside the nba it's it's the the tnt show is great like i I don't watch a lot of nba but it's i I know like the show with um right now it's what barkley kenny ernie and Shaq. like that's a great show but again i think you might get some commentary out of that i don't necessarily think you know when lane kiffin was fired from usc a week later He's on, he's at game day. When a coach is trying to stump for better polling, they go on game day. There's there's it has such a revolutionary power. I think the sheer fact of game day going on the road influences the outcome of how we vote in these polls and how we look at these programs, um, which just speaks to ESPN's power over this sport. Um, which I'm not arguing at the moment. All that being said, Lee Corso is game day, and I understand if if I was if I was ESPN. I would do exactly what they're doing and saying he's got a job for as long as you want. Like, and just basically, we're not going to push just, him out. You just slowly ease up on his responsibilities each year. I think they're doing it exactly right. 
it, but the problem with with me is I always grip my teeth and I feel bad for Lee because he's and he he's a smart, funny, amazing, charming guy. But he's getting older, and it's live television. And I'm, at what point is it fair to everybody involved to do this? I mean, do you pre-tape segments with him? I don't know. Um, yeah, I just think have him come I, out for the the ceremony at the end. Yeah, I mean, you could do that. I, I just, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, Miles yeah, Wade. Like, yeah, Miles <laughs> Wade. I mean, I'm I, again. That's not popular in certain circles in the media for me to say that. But you have less Miles waiting to take that job. Yeah, and I mean, I, yeah, I do think, yeah, I mean, he's just waiting around to get into acting or game day, basically. Um, Ain't waiting way, to coach, bro. Lee Corso is ninety years old. Like, like I, I always, that's amazing. First of all, like, I mean, that's you know, we're, we're reaching the point where it's almost like you know, with that time Betty White was on SNL at like ninety four or whatever it is, and we we were all just like you know, gasping like, Oh my God, this is amazing. And you're also a little nervous uh, yeah. because you know, they're really old. It is like that. And I think it's probably unfair to put him. Uh, this, the, the part at the end where you go through your picks and he interacts with the, with the guest picker and he dons the helmet or, or whatever. Like that's, you know, I think he could do that for forever. Well, you know, until the right. thing that happens that we're not going to talk about. Um, but yeah, basically any other segment. I don't watch Game Day enough to know exactly how many he's on right now. But yeah, anything else where you're asking him to kind of rapid fire about this topic or that topic, that is probably the next part that goes. I know some of it already has gone, um, but I do think you know you could just have him do the last 15 minutes uh, before the 11 o'clock kickoff, the 11 o'clock God's time zone kickoff. Uh, and I don't think anybody would really complain all that much. I, I can't imagine he would complain all that much. Uh, if you just basically give him 15 minutes of programming to focus on each week, that doesn't sound too bit like too bad a gig. I'm telling you, I, I didn't mean for that to get so serious, but <sighs> every week, because every week we get a save and or, and that one was emotional. <sighs> Man, um, that, here one we was, go. that one was tough. Um, uh, real John fast, McElhaney. I got, yeah, I got. Yeah, oh, go. Okay, John McElhaney at Juan Fabulous, uh, multi-time question asker. Um, how will the new kickoff rules impact the game? Would the Shiano idea work better? So the thing here is now that you can kick off, uh, the, or on a kickoff, I should say, you can call fair catch any anywhere inside the twenty-five, I guess, and it's and it'll be a touchback, so you get the ball at the twenty-five. Um, it's fine. You know, like I've said before on this program, like I, I, I hate that we're taking out, I love the, 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 the really super high angle kicks. And I hate that we're taking out that little element of strategy, but I also knew that this is where the game was headed because we've yeah. been talking about these kinds of things for a while. So whatever, I get it. Um, we're sissifying the sport. Um, so, I, you know, this, and then the Shiano idea was basically, you know, let them start at the 25 with no kickoff. And then, you know, if you want to onside kick it, it's like, you know, fourth and 15 or something. Um, I, I, I have no problem with the Shiano idea. And if we wanted to do that instead, it almost makes this whole thing a big formality. Um, so really, uh, you know, I, I, I'm curious how teams will handle it this year, but there's a chance that the, it's just like a ceremony. We're just going to kick off. Everybody's going to run down the field. Nothing's going to happen. And then the offense starts. We can kill, you know, five, 10 minutes of programming each week. If we just get rid of that and have them start at the 25, if that's all it's going to be. Um, but yeah, we'll see how teams play it. I would, I would bet that some still want to try to return it, but if it really is just like a touchback fest, like three quarters of all kickoffs are touchbacks, then why even bother with the, with the ceremony of it and just have them start at the 25. I'm fine. I, I don't have an opinion other than I don't have an opinion on this. Why not? 
What, what, what about the sanctity of the game are we worried about if we, if we just stopped for a little while? You know, <laughs> what if it was a two-year experiment where, where the, you know, we, we brought back two-point conversions? That didn't end anybody's life. I know, like, I mean, you know, the NFL didn't have it, then they had it. It's, it's, it's okay. We could try something different just for two years. Maybe how long, I mean, as, as someone who works in statistics, how, how long would it take to get a decent sample? Two or three seasons? Oh, it would take one season to get a sample of like of the impact because, I mean, there are a lot of kickoffs in a given game. Teams are yeah. scoring 28 points a game. That's a lot of kickoffs. So um, we'll know we'll know after a few weeks what the impact is. OK, uh, but it is it is funny to think about. It. Like, I've, I've been reading this book. Um, I want to pull up the, the name specifically. Uh, the Mixer, the story of Premier League tactics from route one to false nines. Uh, it was written by Michael Cox, uh, a, a well-regarded uh soccer writer on the internet so i'm pretty sure that probably a lot of you have heard it um it's the very first chapter is about the impact of uh when the premier league came about one of the rules they changed was basically if you if you pass it back to the goalkeeper he can't pick it up and hold it anymore um he can't that was the entire rule like basically uh british soccer games especially but soccer games everywhere were were absolutely when you had a one zero lead you were just repeatedly kicking it back and stalling and killing the game and eating the clock and all that uh and it was kind of that that helped with one of the soccer stereotypes of it's just so boring and nothing happens and they're you know blah blah blah, blah. everybody's so conservative so they changed that rule, and at first it, it made this humongous impact because, just because of like keepers losing their minds or not being able, sure if they can pick it up or not or accidentally dribbling out of bounds. Uh, there's this great clip on YouTube of uh, I think it was the Sheffield United goalkeeper uh, losing his mind, uh, accidentally dribbling out of bounds, trying to pick up the ball, but a ball boy grabs it instead and throws it to like uh, a member of the other team. Uh, so like they have a chance to throw the ball in and go down and, and score an easy goal. So the keeper just tackles the guys he's trying to throw the ball in it's great um so but it was this massive thing and everybody was freaking out about the potential impact of it it's going to change the game everybody's just going to bomb the ball downfield and blah 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 really it opened up the game it made it made that such that defenders had to handle the ball more uh, and it did a lot to make the game faster and more free-flowing so little things can make a big impact if there's any impact coming from this kickoff thing, it'll just be that there are a few more points scored because more teams are starting at the 25 instead of like the 19. Um, that's really, if, if you combine that with, you know, fewer concussions, fine. I just wanted to plug that book because it's pretty fun. To yeah, read. man, you were there. You were on it. Yeah. Um, okay. I got two good ones. Um, the first one's a shorter one. So let's do that. Uh, Jordan Ballant asks if I'm looking for a G five team to follow just for the season, which should I choose? <laughs> I want a team that gets pointsy and is trying to make a bowl. UNLV. Um, I think South Florida will be fun, even though they're, yeah. replacing, they're replacing Quentin Flowers. It'll still be fun. Um, I'm trying to give – I mean, everyone would say UCF, but I was trying to give you something that's just more, I don't know, not as well-known right now. Um, um, in Mountain West, just going conference to conference, in Mountain West, UNLV and Nevada are, are going to be pointsy as hell. Um, he said bowl. He said bowl, which makes me think I should I should drop this down to a team that's going to float between six and eight, and not. Whereas I think right. South Florida could do better than that. Um, right. You know, UNLV and Nevada are both going to be scrapping to get to six and six, so I think they qualify. Uh, I mean, Tulsa is going to try and do that. <laughs> yeah, Tulsa. They should have an offense again this year, and their defense should be as as uh, 
horrid as it was last year or could be uh in the mac well i mean you got your choice in the mac but um mm. team like emu maybe like don't don't go for like the miami ohio's because they're more defense and conservative and mm-hmm. you know, screw that uh emu could be a team like that uh, plus they're pretty aggressive on defense so even when they get burned it's kind of fun western uh, michigan i mean if you're going over, if you're going overlook now that pj is gone western michigan um Louisiana Tech, of course, is 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 on oh, the verge reliable. of many track meets every single year. Middle oh, Tennessee is reliable. FAU, of course, but then it, it feels cliche. You know, what, like you got to <laughs> yeah, specify. Going, you, are, do you want hipster, or are you just looking for us to play? The I was about to say you're just going with the favorites. Screw that. Right. Um, All right. No, um, I would say Nevada and UNLV are the first two that came to mind. You will enjoy the hell out of watching either one of them play. Will Oakley, get ready for some. This is some pen and paper action here. Um, in seven years from now, you go back and look it. at the five new SEC head coaches that oh, were man. hired in 2018. All right. Okay. And he said, and in parentheses, he puts not including Matt Luke, Matt Luke being an interim that was turned into a head coach. I guess that's the exception there. Okay. One wins a national championship. One does better than expected. One meets expectations. One does worse than expected. And one gets fired. Who does what? Well, first off, I can tell you one. <laughs> here's the flaw here, Will. More than one will be fired. In seven years, right. <laughs> right. in fact, there, of these, five, there's five coaches here in seven years. I think two might have a job in seven years, and that would be really, really, really. Yeah, seven years is a long time. I mean, you're talking about it, 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 two of the five still having a job in seven years in the SEC would be considered hopeful. Um, that's just math. That's not me being a, a, a dick. So, okay, not including Chad Morris, or I'm sorry, not including Matt Luke. You have Chad Morris at Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Jimbo, you, you have Jimbo, you have Jeremy Kelly, you have wait, say again, Jeremy Kelly, Pruitt, Pruitt, yeah. Who's Jeremy who's Kelly? Jer- who's Jeremy Kelly? I'm going to Google Jeremy Kelly. Um, the, that answer is we're just going to. I'm going to stop the show. I'm, I'm really curious. Combining like like I don't know Brian Kelly. Uh, Joe Jeremy Moorhead. Kelly, according to Wikipedia, Jeremy Kelly is a offensive guard who played for North Dakota State. Um, <laughs> so we'll go with that. Sure, we'll we'll say that's what I was thinking. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt, yes. Joe Moorhead in Mississippi State. And Mullen. I'm so confused now. Dan Mullen at Florida. Okay, um, we'll play Will's game first. But I'm going to tell you right now that list. There's only one that's going to survive, just mathematically. Maybe two. Um, it's seven years from now, so we're entering the 2025 season or whatever. I'm not. I don't do math. Ask Bill. Um, all right, who's your national championship winner of those five? Well, I mean, just think of the schools involved. You know, I know that. And honestly, that's the tougher part here. Is that. I think Chad Morris is a great coach. I don't know if Arkansas is ever going to be able to position themselves to win a national championship. I mean, and yeah, you could have a miracle run. Those happen. But if you're yeah. just talking about the, the odds, I think Joe Moorhead, one of the best Love. offensive minds in Love football yeah. at Mississippi state fact, I think Joe Moorhead is doing more uh, for innovation in 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 an offensive scheme in 2018 than dan mullen is but yeah. dan mullen's a florida yeah which is which is both florida and which is in the sec east uh, all right let's just do this America. let's do this real fast okay so the one that doesn't meet expectations is going to be jimbo that's pretty easy the one who gets fired <laughs> of these five right now the one who's gonna get fired is jeremy pruitt because it's tennessee and because, because of jeremy it's tennessee, pruitt. yeah <laughs> and because it's jeremy pruitt um okay so that leaves uh chad morris Joe Moorhead and Dan Mullen. I do not think the Dan Mullen era at 
uh, Florida will yield a national championship um, because I don't think he'll be there long enough to do it. And I think what they're stacked up against right now, both in the state of Florida and in the SEC East, um, with the gravity sort of heading towards Georgia right now, um, I just I don't see it. However, if I had to pick from this list to complete Will's exercise, it's Dan Mullen. Um, then we have one does better. One meets expectations. Uh, Chad Morris, I think meets expectations. Sure. Yeah. And then where does that leave Joe Moorhead? Um, did we do the does better than expected one? Cause that's, that feels like a Moorhead to me. The weird thing is I expect Joe Moorhead to do really well at Mississippi state. Well, but, but, but I, I mean, I guess it depends on who we're talking, whose expectations we're talking about, but what are the expectations? Here's a good question. What are the expectations for Joe Moorhead at Mississippi state? Because, uh, it's a good football team right now. It's a really good football team. He's got a great roster coming back. I think he's going to do great stuff with Nick Fitzgerald, right? Um, I don't think Nick, Nick Fitzgerald is necessarily going to be Trace McSorley too, um, but he's a really good football player and Moorhead smart enough not to try and graft a system onto him. Right. Okay. But what do you consider to be successful? Yeah, that's kind of interesting. You, n- you never won the what? division. This is the most, you just had the most successful coach you've ever had in program history, full stop. And you never won your division. In the last 10 years, they've finished ranked three times. Uh, maybe that's the expectation then. Uh, you know, never mind like best coach ever or worst or whatever. Like the, you know, their expectation is kind of historically how have they done? And they've proven that they can be a top 20 or so team once every three, three to five years. Um, if that's the expectation, I would expect him to exceed that. But um, yeah, I guess it really does depend on what expectations are. I don't really know how to define that. Uh Mississippi State's a very interesting place right now because of the bar that Mullen set while also failing to hit individual benchmarks. They never beat Alabama. They were horrendous in big games. They were awful in big games. When you take out playing Ole Miss, whether they were supposed to win or Ole Miss was supposed to win, and you look at how they played major programs, that win against LSU was monumental for them. Um, It's... I mean, I think I I personally, because I think they have good football players and a good head coach now, expect them to win like nine games. But I don't know if I don't know if state fans are going to be mad about that or not. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That is kind of an interesting. Where do you set the bar for them? Where Where does the normal college football fan now set the bar for for? for I would be genuinely state? interested if a Mississippi State fan who listens to this program. I doubt there are any. Um, would would tell me where where the expectation sits because you just lost a coach to florida but you haven't really lost much in terms of talent so i don't know I almost, i'm almost as curious like what you know i know we have a lot of nebraska fans what do nebraska fans just casually think of mississippi state at this point what well like usc we have a usc listeners what what like when you're just when you're just randomly thinking, oh, what you know? Here's here's a new coach at Mississippi State. I think he'll probably accomplish X. Like what is what is that? I, I don't really know how other people think of Mississippi State at this point. Wherever it is, it's clearly much higher than it used to be because of Dan Mullen. Uh, like whatever the, that 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 median expectation is, it's much higher than when Mullen was taken over for Sly Croom. But I don't know where it is. Yeah, I mean the program was just it didn't exist in the same concept. I will say one of the things that Mississippi state did really well while Mullen was there was build around him physically and financially. So, um, uh, let's just go ahead and drop a pile full of cheap fireworks, uh, onto a gasoline soaked fire. Uh, cool. Dr. Money asks Apple white. This isn't really a question. 
Applewhite hired a Bryles in 2018. That name is tarnished in Texas. The locals and media were rightly upset. I kind of feel like I'm reading off a limerick. The hire seemed desperate. Applewhite may be under pressure. Will Houston really fire him for going eight and four or worse? Should have hired Kiffin, in my opinion. Well, Dr. Money, um, I can tell you why they didn't hire Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin was not going to leave Alabama until the conclusion of their season, and there was major concern because he did not have um, proven Texas-based recruiters on his staff. Um, I think Lane Kiffin right now is inarguably a better head coach than Major Applewhite, but Major Applewhite, we don't know if he's necessarily a good or bad head coach yet. Right. He's had one year. Um, they they had a they had a moment, man. They had a moment with that one, that second, yeah, second Tom Herman season. And a moment is when you start the season by beating Oklahoma and you end right. it by beating Florida State. Okay. Well, no, no, um, to, Florida State was the year before. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I meant to say, yeah. end it. I'm sorry, end it with Florida State and, and and that period of time. Every reporter on God's green earth, including myself, twice we, we went to Houston. Right, that was a big deal. Um, that's not necessarily going to happen again. Um. Or if it does, it may not happen for five or six years. So you recruited really, really well. You proved the I, I do think that they they set the bar higher reasonably so for recruiting. Okay. Eight do you fire him at eight and four? No. Is he on the hot seat at eight and four for twenty nineteen? Yes. That's crazy to say. I, I don't make the rules, man, but I, I think that's the case. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, this is the, when the when the school president comes out and, and basically says when Major Apple is hired, like we'll, we'll fire him if he doesn't win ten games, even though right. that was bluster. Um, it is, I think, the hire of Kendall Bryles makes it very clear that, like, I, well, that I mean, wh- whether we call it desperate or whatever, uh, that Apple White feels pressure to win big and and part of that is just because you you get addicted real fast when you start getting that attention and the the love that they got two years ago you never want that to go away even if you know it's going to go away and and even if like basically the odds of that going away went to about 99.9 percent as soon as the big 12 decided not to expand um once you've proven once you've dropped a hint about what your ceiling is you never ever ever want to go back to seven and five and so school programs all the time make giant mistakes by basically saying like well no we want 10 wins seven and five isn't good enough we were just talking about ecu that's basically what they did uh houston has a higher ceiling than ecu but they still have a ceiling and so and with even in a you know a a mere p6 conference instead of a p5 conference going winning 10 games every year or really threatening to to play at that level every year is really 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 hard and um it is kind of a tinderbox though and and i think the the kendall Bryles hire makes that very clear that you that you know apple white knows he's got to win and he knows he'd be on the hot seat for only going eight and four even though it's not like they've gone eight and four every year in the history of creation so bizarre how crazy that thing got it's funny to bring it back around to cincinnati bill like that was a program that when all of the expansion stuff was going on cincinnati was super quiet on the record, yeah. off the record, like went about their business, knew that there was a probably probably read the tea leaves in a better way than Houston did and the and the Floridas did, and thinking that like, man, the Big Twelve really is volatile and they really don't follow through on a lot of stuff. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe we're going to be stuck here in the AAC, so we should shut up about <laughs> it. And to contrast those two teams, level of expectation, um, it's it's always been very interesting to me. I know those two programs pretty well. But By the Houston, way, uh, Houston made so much noise that now they have to live and act like a P5. Right. So <laughs> right. we haven't even talked about you hired a guy with baggage. Was that because you're desperate or was that because he was the best guy available? I don't know. Welcome to football. Like that's, well, I, was about to say, I mean, the answer is yes. Uh, it, it, he probably was the best hire available because he's a very good offensive mind and it was desperate because you know exactly the kind of flack you're going to take for it, but he was willing to take that flack if it means winning 10 games. Um, so that's the answer. By the way, um, this is a what if I, I uh, that's, that kind of circles back into my head every year I write about Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. What happens? Uh, in fact, I've probably brought it up on this damn show before, but what happens if Colt McCoy's pass against Nebraska in the big 12 championship in, uh, 2009 uh-huh. is deemed, uh, you know, with z- it, it hits with zero seconds left. Uh, Nebraska wins the game and Cincinnati goes to the BCS championship that year. Cause that's, that's really, I wrote about this in last year's Cincinnati preview, kind of spelled it out, but that's where we were. Like when, when Mac Brown's walking out towards, uh, you know, midfield with his, with his finger in the air saying, no, no. Cause they, you know, because he says there was one second left and he was right. Uh, he, there, there should have been a second left, but what if that game ends with that and Cincinnati, th- th- that was the impact that it had. Cincinnati would have gone to the BCS title game that year. Um, if Texas had lost to Nebraska. So what happens? It does, does history then over the next three or four years of realignment play out exactly the same? Or does that be the simple fact that they played Alabama and probably got beat by 24 points in the BCS title game in, tw- in 2009? I mean, <laughs> does that carry to the point where they're just kind of everybody assumes they're going to end up with a power conference bid because they are the team that almost won the national title? Didn't they lose by like 30 to Florida? Yeah. I, I don't think they would have lost that badly to Alabama because Alabama would have been a little tight and nervous and Florida just didn't give a damn. They just came out and just laid, <laughs> laid the whooping down. Um, I don't think they would have lost by that bad, but they would have lost. They would have clearly lost and it wouldn't have been all that close because uh, they didn't have nearly the manpower. Uh, b- but they would have physically played for the national title and gotten that month of coverage and been treated like, you know, like near royalty and all that. Does that almost make it to where like the big 12 feels they have to invite them because they're the team that almost played for the national title. Hmm. They invite them in like 2012, not, not like last year, but when, when they started looking for replacements, do they get a bid over like West Virginia or TCU just because that's, they are the program that almost won the national title. I think, I think it's the West Virginia comparison because i think tcu is headed there they had you know the current ad of yeah, texas they had texas in yeah. there crystal yeah. conte was the t was the tcu ad he's now the ad at texas ironically and, and went in and, and did the sell and and convinced really the powers to be which is just texas um right. <laughs> to bring them in and i don't think yeah, anything that would yeah. have happened east of longview was going to matter much um i think they become a more viable option than 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 west virginia at that point that's the real answer. I mean, it's, it really comes down to you go back and you look at the conference expansion and in one corner of the world, Louisville wins the biggest. People still say that. Yep. And I agree with that. I think Louisville fits and succeeds better in the ACC than West Virginia does in the Big 12. Yep. West Virginia gets off the boat that's sinking. That's all that really matters. <laughs> right. and, and Cincinnati Rutgers, doesn't. Rutgers somehow gets off the boat. That, that's still yeah. – you want to talk about winners. 
I mean, Baylor stays alive and, you know, Baylor jumps from the Southwest conference to the, to the uh, big 12 because of a governor. I mean, it's just, that's, that's how these things happen. Um, yeah. Cincinnati loses. They effectively lose. Um, what's funny is you go back to that period of time and Houston was in no, no shape to, to make that argument. So thus it's, they were were a shambles and they had been on probation like seven times or whatever. It hurts Cincinnati the most for sure. Um, and I think that maybe maybe that was the taste in their mouths when they they decided to go with a much more low key pitch to the Big Twelve in this last yeah. round. But um, I don't know; it's interesting. I don't think that Houston whew, go all the way back around to the actual question asked. I don't think Houston <laughs> is necessarily freaking out or anything like that. I think it's just a matter of they saw the best hire possible. They are going to they draw straight lines in Texas, man. They they aren't. <laughs> there's sometimes they just don't sit and and you know, consider certain avenues. They, they just, it's a success best based mate, uh, a success based metric. That was really hard to say. Um, and I do think that the powers that be at the university of Houston and anywhere else in the G five, when you get a taste of what they had with the Florida state, the Oklahoma, da, 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 like you don't want that to go away. So they're going to do everything yep. they can. And by the way, absent of everything off of the field, it's the right hire. If you can sit, oh yeah, yeah, no, I'm I mean, not. I'm not saying you should or shouldn't yeah. ignore what happened to Baylor. I have to be super careful about how I say this. <laughs> absent of any, like absent of all of that, when you're looking at the blind resume, there, that's the hire they're going to make every time. The guy's got Texas experience. The guy's got. I mean, his dad was the head coach at University of Houston, and to hell with all that. He's a good offensive coordinator. He can call plays extremely well, and taking that out of major's hands and, and, and letting major evolve as a head coach. It's, it's all the right move. Now that's a big, if that's a big, that's a big ask to ignore all the stuff that happened in Waco. So we'll see it play out. Yeah. This feels, this feels like when you win an election and you talk about like, here's what I'm going to do to spend my political capital. <laughs> this is major Appleweight spending all of his political capital, knowing that if it works out, you know, as outraged as people are right now, knowing that if it works out, um, you know, people will just remember him winning. And that because that that is that is the very cynical and very realistic way to talk about a lot of this stuff. Uh, if he wins, we uh, well, if he wins and nothing Baylor ish happens, and I don't think it will, um, then people will, will forget that it was kind of gross to hire him this quickly after Baylor because that's just how it works. Um, let me ask you something. If okay. and let's just play this out for a second there's a chance that Houston bounces back to that form this year. They have good players. Um, I do think that, that, um, that Bryles could be that thing they were missing to, to kind of re-engineer their offense a little bit. Um, and the kid that beat out Kyle Allen is their Eric King starter now. Um, okay. Without looking at anyone's schedule, there's a really good chance that we enter Thanksgiving with Houston having a hell of a lot more wins than Baylor. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, and if that's the case, it's going to be nothing against Ed Oliver. It's going to be because of that offense and they're going to be scoring like 42 points a game. Okay. That's going to be a really interesting conversation around the state of Texas. Come, come <laughs> Thanksgiving 2018. If Houston is nine and one, eight and one, something like that, and and getting you know sniffing that G five at large bowl bid again and having a chance to go to the Fiesta or whatever it is, 
Um, if that's the case, and then Baylor is still on the slowest of slow roads back, like what, what and I know you haven't mm-hmm. done big 12 previews yet, but let's just off the top of your head. If I asked you, what is the max win? What is the max? What is the ceiling for 2018 Baylor? Six wins? Yeah. Six, seven. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah, going to be awkward. Yeah, I mean, and, and here's Houston's schedule, by the way, just to prepare yourself for the awkwardness that could absolutely happen. Um, they play Baylor at no, but oh. they, they at rice first week, Arizona at home at Texas tech, uh, Texas Southern at home, Tulsa at home at ECU. Uh, so the odds of six and O are, I mean, they're not a hundred percent cause you've got Arizona and Texas tech on there, but they're good. That, that's six and oh is not a, a, a tall ask and then you've got at navy which obviously they bombed two years ago but you know new opportunity usf at home at smu temple at home Tulane at home and then at memphis to end so even if we assume that memphis is further ahead of them and, and memphis wins that game if you're just talking about them being eight and one nine and one it's on the table it's very very much on the table what do so Texas, you have that to look so, no here's my next question so my and we can, i guess we can end on this because this is a by the way, nobody look. We're you guys are all really cool. If you're listening to this, an hour and ten minutes into a podcast, you're cool. You're in our club. Um, don't spread it around too much. But I'm kind of formulating a story idea here. Okay, Bill. Um, <laughs> okay, yeah. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Yeah, don't, don't tell anybody. Even though we're putting this out on a podcast. Um, Texas fans had a pretty one-sided uh, reaction um, opinion to what went down at Baylor. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They love some major Applewhite, right? <laughs> one of our, one of their cherished sons. Um, how is this going to sit with UT fans? Major will have, will be very successful. And I don't think, I'm not saying this in like compared to what Texas football is doing because they're going to be fine. We think like that didn't, was okay. it last week's okay. show? We said they were, yeah, we said they could be the surprise team of college football or something. Um, Texas fans denounced anything that ever touched our briles, right? Anything ugh, awful. Right? And the initial response to the, to them hiring Kendall Bryles at Houston to, to major hiring Kendall Bryles was about 98% appalled. So that might be the answer. Cause I think, but they don't write off major wholesale and also major and Tom are friends and major and Tom stay in touch with each other and major and Tom share coaches. Um, this is very interesting to me. <laughs> so basically what you're saying is if Tom Herman uh, goes to, you know, wins 10 or 11 games this year and then takes like the Cleveland Browns job. Oh God. Oh God. Okay. Just, and, I, I, I don't know where this is going and I don't endorse <laughs> this. Please don't at me. Oh God. And then major Applewhite goes 12 and one and wins the AAC goes 13 and 0 and wins the AAC. That's the oh, extreme version oh, of the oh hypothetical God. you were just presenting. <laughs> and, then he, and then he brings he brings he brings Kendall Bryles as his OC to, to Texas. Okay, Bill, you we look. I know you're an Android, but we've got to work on your human like pro, like the actual part of your processing I, system that registers empathy say, and human emotion. I didn't say the last part. You said the last. I've never part. been I mean, more tempted to just stop a podcast by just unplugging the mic and running away from the computer as if it was as if it was like taped to a bunch of c4 <laughs> jesus bill i do horrible things I on this not, podcast all the time and i have never put kendall Bryles, texas offensive coordinator together 
Just you said those words. I didn't. I just crafted the first part of the scenario. So, the, so, oh God, here's the worst part about this. Is my, my brain has now been infected by this idea, and I can't say it's completely impossible. <laughs> Herman's not – okay, let me say this. Herman strikes me very much in the James Franklin type of camp where people – Anytime they mention the NFL with James Franklin, I'm like, I don't know, man. That doesn't that doesn't maybe. Yeah, no, no, no. Like, I'm not. I'm not saying this is what happens. Right. I'm. I'm like Tom. Like Tom got his dream job, very much in the way that Ed Orgeron got his dream job, and all these people got their dream jobs. Like Willie Taggart got his dream job. Right. That this is where they want to be. This is who I am. But and he really likes recruiting too. Tom. Does, yeah, he does. I don't see Tom like. Oh Jesus. Oh God. I just had a. <laughs> You gotta, you're not going to throw, throw up, are you? No, I'm done throwing up. But I, what if he, what if the Cowboys, what if the Cowboys called and he could work with Dak Prescott? Oh God, it's happening. Texas wins ten or more games over two years. Jerry Jones calls him and says, "Do you want to? Yeah, uh, want to take Dak Prescott and win a Super Bowl for twenty five million dollars a year? Yeah. Oh God, it could happen. <laughs> Major Applewhite." With his star OC, becomes yeah. head coach at Texas. This is terrifying, Bill. I this is um, I'm shutting off Twitter for a week after this thing comes out. I, <laughs> by the way, I, I like, I don't, by the way, what I'm about to say is this: we got to wrap up, get out of here. Um, I love, I love, I love, I love good bull hunting, our guys. But please forgive me for the joke I'm about to make. All this is going on, Jimbo. Eight and four every year. <laughs> eight and four every year. All this seismic shit is going on. Jimbo, eight and four every year. Texas A and M fans can't even get four and eight to get them out. They owe them like a hundred and sixty million dollars or something. Like part of Saudi Arabia, <laughs> some back end deal made with a couple different oil conglomerates, and they still. And but he's eight and four. He tops out one year. He beats LSU. He's nine and three. Oh God. <laughs> Yeah, so basically, to summarize this show... I always knew you would destroy the world, Bill, but I didn't realize it was going to be today. We pissed off A&M fans. We pissed off Texas fans. We pissed yeah. off Houston fans because we got the, we sent oh, their yeah, coach we, away. Yeah, we took their coach I pissed off SMU fans because I was only semi-impressed with the Sunny Dykes hire. Basically, we pissed off everybody, and I, and I immediately eliminated North, eliminated North Texas from AAC consideration. Uh, so basically, the only fan base... And I suggested Houston would beat Texas Tech. So So really... And we suggested Baylor isn't going to be very good. So really, UTEP is the only team we haven't dumped on in the state of Texas this year or go this Niners. program. Um, so yeah, go Miners. Uh, you are the official. We are, you are the El Paso is the only market we didn't burn. So congrats. Well, I and I just I mean this isn't this is a PAPN plus, but I wrote a blog last week because yeah, I had did. I had thirty minutes to myself and suggested that Oklahoma FAU be a Thursday night opening game on ESPN. <laughs> And oh my God, it was as if I went around and collected the firstborn infants in the in the city of Norman. And we don't do Thursday games into slavery, my lord. Uh, the indignation was just righteous. Uh, yeah, so we're popular in Big Twelve country. Uh, I don't know how to end this podcast. <laughs> I I need to go and figure out the owner's manual for a Bill Connolly and, and find the find the off switch because you've created the doomsday scenario. I'm Louise from Bob's Burgers right now. I just I just set the world on fire and I feel pretty good about it. Oh man! All right, Bill, we're gonna come back next week, finish out the AAC, and hopefully just operate in a much more normal space.
And if you just want to talk about tequila next week, that's fine. If we just want to kind of like clear the slate a little bit, um, or we can try to burn the world up even more. I don't know. This episode was spicy enough. <laughs>